0: Thank you for joining us at Conversations to Inspire. I am your host, Teresa Moore. There are many facets of our mind-body-spirit connection. In this episode, we explore the benefits of integrative nutrition and incorporating nutrition into holistic living. Our guest is Andrea Levson. Andrea is an integrative nutrition therapy practitioner, holistic wellness consultant, biochemist, and educator, and the founder of both Navigating Equilibrium and navigating performance. Andrea's companies coach individuals and athletes to obtain optimal nutrition and recognize and acknowledge the balance between the mind, body, and spirit, and the importance of the interplay between all three facets to become our best selves. I encourage you to learn more at NavigatingEquilibrium.com and NavigatingPerformance.com, as well as the same business names on Instagram. Andrea offers coaching programs, webinars, consulting, and master classes, as well as guided meditations online. Join us as Andrea teaches us about the impacts of nutrition and food on our whole person, how it affects us in all facets of our life, sleep, mood, and overall health. Andrea and I discuss the power of breathing exercises, meditation, sound waves, light waves, restorative sleep, and holding gratitude as well as how each of these are interconnected into our mind, body, and spirit. Andrea teaches us about epigenetics, our gut microbiome, and the effects of Roundup in our foods. This is part two of a two-part series. Please listen to part one for more detailed nutritional information. Here is my conversation with Andrea Levson. It sounds like you really, really know your stuff. You have such a broad and deep, at the same time, knowledge base of all of this information.
1: Thank you. I find it all fascinating. I always have. The idea of wellness being integrative, it's not just about nutrition. That is about the mind and the spirit and recognizing all of it, that it's all linked. I think it's its a wonderful opportunity. I think it's a awesome change that we're beginning to see rigorous science is starting to take their blinders off with respect to it. If you look historically and even in scripture, you know, we recognize that there was a whole person there to begin with. You know, somehow we got steered away from that idea and everything was compartmentalized. It's in looking at that whole picture that we can see the answers. And it's just exciting because I think that a lot of the stigmas that go along with some things, and I think that people are going to be able to become more well, that we can change the trajectory of how sick people are in this country. And again, that ripple effect that it has on people is just going to make us better and then thus our communities better and nourish each other and nurture each other. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that
0: up. So I wanted to touch a little bit more on your knowledge of integrative nutrition. Integrative nutrition to you, what does that mean? What does that encompass?
1: I think nutrition's the cornerstone, but you can't just solely look at nutrition as an isolated solution and not look at those other parts because it's those other parts that impact our nutrition. We can't integrate that nutrition into us without all those other parts being in place. When you are teaching integrative wellness to your athletes, what kind of ideas are you giving to them? Just my perspective kind of opens their eyes. They'll start to see things differently. That perhaps their meal just isn't just a meal. I'm just not eating food. Well, how they're experiencing that meal impacts it and how that impacts their day, how well they might sleep that night or whether or not they're going to wake up sore, you know, just their ability to focus and mental clarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can affect so many different facets. Yeah. They suddenly start to look at food, not necessarily just as how it tastes, but how it impacts so much otherwise suddenly it's it's information. And it's not just those nutrients, because the idea of nutrition versus nourishment, I think is a very interesting concept. Whereas-
0: I would love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: So nutrition, you know, really is just, I don't want to say the bare bones, but really just the science of it all. But then the food and the nutrients can't nourish us if we don't provide it with the opportunity to do so. That includes the space in which we're consuming it, the Mindset we have when we're consuming it, what you're mixing it with, it all matters. So suddenly, food isn't just food anymore. And I think that's probably their biggest takeaway. They're just, it just opens their eyes to so many different parts. Then it becomes a little overwhelming. I don't want to create any anxiety around it, but then they're just like, whoa. <laughs> they didn't realize any of that before. And then yeah. all
0: of a sudden, everything not only matters, but everything impacts each other and everything is interconnected and related. Exactly. And then all of a sudden you see that full picture and you're like, oh my gosh, I did not realize how much what I eat impacts how I think and feel and sleep and how my activity level impacts reciprocating back to all of those, the same components. Yeah, I can imagine it's So it's overwhelming even for not just your athletes, but for general population.
1: Well, and I think even... Even for me, I mean, like, it's just so fascinating to know that how much of it's so interconnected, like, wow, oh my gosh, you know, that's connected to that and we could optimize things better this way. And I love the smile that they get after three weeks and they're like, man, I haven't slept that well in so long and I can think better, I can feel my wife and I aren't fighting anymore because I feel better and I'm not as irritable. So then therefore she's not as crabby with the kid. You know, it's just like, it has this ripple effect. And I love the fact that that just these small little things that we can tweak, if you will, can impact that. And they're questioning what they're actually eating. So it's going to impact their life. It's not just going to impact how well they do in the game on Sunday or whatever. It impacts the choices that they're going to make when they're 40, 50, 60 years old, because they suddenly have the tools and the knowledge to look at them differently. Like, okay, I'm looking at this particular salt, and maybe I want to choose a different salt, or where did this come from? Maybe I should take that into consideration where that came from, or... Absolutely. And then they're going to share that knowledge, which
0: which I love. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Then they're not only going to impact their own family around them, but they're going to broaden that ripple effect, you know, friends, colleagues, coworkers, and just people that they meet and maybe have a conversation with. Yeah. Yes, and then people can continue to teach and learn.
1: Yep, and I think that's how it work it's going to work. Our society is, I don't want to say so ill, but it is, you know, like everyone has chronic disease is such so prevalent. The information isn't out there. It's just a matter of people have a few tools just to even question what they're doing or just a little bit more information and make more informed choices that impacts how they do things. And No, it,
0: it's huge. It's tremendous. And you don't even know what you don't know. And then when you start to gain that knowledge, then mm-hmm. every, all the pieces of the puzzle just seem to start to fit together.
1: Right. You don't even know what questions you even ask if you don't even know. I was faced with something a couple of years ago where I had some farmers, incidentally, that had their children were having some neurological issues. Well, if I didn't know what they did, you know, essentially like pickle the hay to put them into the white wrapping bales. Well, if I didn't know what the chemical product was that they were using to be able to, you know, not let the hay dry. If I didn't know that, then I wouldn't be able to have known, recognize that it's a neurotoxin and that could be impacting their their kids. Tourette syndrome and things like that, so they would be shaking or they would have, children are more susceptible to things, it might show up more in, in the kids because they're, you know, they're less developed and all three kids had neurological issues and they just discounted it. Had I not known what question to ask, not knowing the farming practices, how they've changed and then not knowing about the link, you don't know the question to ask. The broad knowledge that actually that I can bring to all of this, that really is what makes the difference because without that
0: you don't even know like you said which questions to ask
1: you can't help if you don't have information in your toolkit i try to look at things from such a different lens from the lens the spiritual lens from emotional and mental hygiene and then also knowing scientifically how the body works and then also so much is nuanced there's not a black and white it's in that knowing that allows you to see more you can look at the gray areas and, and recognize that, oh, well, this is a possibility. And as long as people are willing to recognize that it is an experiment, it's, this is a journey, you know, let's try this. And this could actually maybe work because some of this is like new frontier, if you will. And then we find the answers, which I, that's the ultimate, that's the amazing part. So That's
0: why we do what we do. You do more than just nutrition. You had talked about the fact that you have breathing exercises that you have your athletes do. Mm -hmm. Can you teach us about those?
1: Our bodies are designed to, in breathing, allows us to actually switch out of that stressed mode into a more calmer state. We switch out of that fight or flight mode into the heal, digest, and rest mode, but allows us to switch out of that fight or flight mode and be less stressed just naturally. We have a tendency to breathe and move our shoulders, which doesn't help at all. There's a muscle underneath our lungs called the diaphragm. If you move that diaphragm just naturally, your body physiologically will switch out of the sympathetic mode and into the parasympathetic mode, which is the colomer one. So that deep belly breathing or making sure that you're breathing and moving your belly and not your shoulders will actually physically switch your body back into that less stressed mode. So there's all sorts of types of breathe exercises that you can do. There's like a four, seven, eight breathing where you just different counting things that you can do with them. Explain that one to us. I tend to do the box breathing just because they can remember it. You just imagine the box, you breathe in and then hold and then breathe out and then just follow, you know, visually follow that box around.
0: And it's almost like a count of certain seconds or or the same amount of seconds all around the box. Mm -hmm.
1: Like four or five in for a 4 hold for
0: 4 exhale for 4 and then hold for a count of 4 again before you inhale and start the box
1: yeah. and if you're super stressed and only 3 works then stick with the 3 and then work to the 4 you know and they can do that on the field if they're in a situation where they're where they feel stressed you know say uh they're in an argument or something like that you can just naturally ground yourself and remember that okay if I take a deep breath I will like feel better and probably be more clear more focused And better able to handle this situation. And breathing with your belly, with the diaphragm, not with your shoulders. Right. Even stick your hand there just to get that to happen.
0: Your hand on your belly? Yeah,
1: like right right above your belly button. You know, just make sure that area is moving. That'll work. Tools like that. Just bringing yourself more into the presence will allow your breathing to change. Say you're in an argument or you're in a situation where it's stressful. Remember that you're stressed and be like, okay, what tools do I have? Number one, you can step outside the situation and kind of like try and watch it happen. We're so disconnected from ourselves most often. We're on this like autopilot, if you will. Absolutely. And we're not conscious of our thoughts. That's an entire Mm -hmm. separate conversation. A really good one, though, I I must add. I love that, all that stuff. I'm very interested in Even just thinking about your big toe. If you think about your big toe and how it's touching the inside of your shoe or, and then how it's touching the ground, it'll actually just bring you back into where you are into your awareness. And then, you know, that'll help to, um, to ground you and center you again. And it's just small little things like that, or even tiny little things like that will help us to be more mindful of whatever's happening and more present that tends to work to our benefit.
0: I feel like mindfulness is such a broad term, but it has such a huge impact in our daily moment to moment way we live, you know, to learn, to be able to respond, not react, to be cognizant of our surroundings and our, how we feel and our intuition and how like our alignment and our balance is at that moment. And it allows us to maybe maintain that calmer state instead of, you know, jumping right up into that fight or fight mode. And there's so many parts of that. And you use breathing techniques as one of the ways to maintain that. What are some of the other tools in your toolkit that you have or some of your other practices that you are teaching your athletes to be able to focus on that and kind of keep that center and that balance aligned?
1: Well, I think that, you know, and just speaking to that also, I mean, our daily life is so inundated with so much. And we have so many, so many open files, if you will the devices we're on, all the different ways in which we're pulled, um, it's very hard to stay centered, if you will. So the, you know, the mindfulness helps us to bring us back. And just small little meditation practices, I think, are are huge. And you can just sprinkle them throughout the day, whether they're during the time in which you are brushing your teeth, you know, taking a couple of minutes just to, just to recenter yourself. And then you know that that tool exists if you need to. I remember reading about a meditation technique. It was a girl
0: who wrote a book because she was being instructed to meditate and she could not do it for any length of time. So she started employing a practice of three minutes, three times a day. And even that was able to help her reset. And I, I wish I remembered the name of the book, um, but it was able to help her to reset and then to incorporate that and, and completely changed her life. It mm-hmm. might be like three by three or three of three, something with the book title. But yes, so it doesn't have to be an hour. It doesn't have to no. be 20 minutes or 30 minutes. It can be just brief being aware that you should, to calm your body and to recenter. Yep. And all of that can have a huge grounding effect and a huge calming effect.
1: Right. I mean, the science of that is, is growing the more we recognize that how beneficial it is. Right. The idea of just having just a few minutes, and then that's what I, Often encourages just a few minutes sprinkled throughout your day does just as much in their finding as, say even, I know that there was a study done a number of years ago with Tibetan monks that are essentially like professional meditators. They had like meditated like for thirty four thousand hours or something like that, you know, like huge number of were their brains sort of changed from their process of meditation? Yes. But they're also finding that our brains can change in the same way by just doing these few minutes sprinkled throughout our day. And we are, we have the ability to, and that's one of the neatest things like probably in the last 10, 15 years that we recognize that the idea of plasticity and that our brains are not just the way they were created. We can recreate the pathways and make them new. And those small little practices Like I said, sprinkled throughout your day, can change that plasticity and make those different pathways. And then your brain actually is is going to go to them. I I explain it to athletes. They're just like neuroplasticity. What's that? If you're walking through a forest and you walk down a trail all the time, it's it's a well-worn path. See, you need to make a new path. Well, you actually have to change that thought process. So you're going to have to carve a new path and wear it down. Well, but once that path, new path, is there and it's a better path or perhaps or whatever, your body's naturally going to take that new path as opposed to the old one. So they're like, oh, I get it. So. Uh, yeah,
0: that's it, a great visual to to define or to exam- to exemplify about how that truly does work in the brain.
1: Yeah. So if you're trying to create a new habit or path, you know, and that old, old path is actually going to like deteriorate and it's going to, the trees are going to fall on the pathway and you're not going to clear them off. So your new path is going to be the one your body's going to default to. So I think that's you know that's how I try and explain it. But we can make new paths for, we just have to keep practicing them. And it's those small, it doesn't have to be huge time. And there's so many people that can't just, what am I supposed, I can't calm my mind, I don't know how in those few short moments. And you know what? The more we practice it, the more it's going to come easier. And it's okay if you don't. And if you just get distracted, just trying to bring yourself back to that one spot again. And, you know, don't be critical of yourself. That's I repeatedly say that. Do not be critical. Cause our our minds have a tendency to wander. That's what they're designed to do. They minds wander. That's what they do. So you even just, that Tibetan monks mm-hmm. minds wander. You just bring it back. And if you have to do that visually, like physically move something actually visually do it that's fine and that's just it's normal and don't be critical because you don't want to set a negative spin on the whole thing so i had a
0: visualization that i was reading about in a book of visualizing a river and every thought that comes through just have it be a leaf that lands in the river and it just floats away so you don't give it any attention a friend of mine gave me another really cool one that i even like better and that's just sit still and listen for the voice of God, universe, source, you know, whatever your belief system is. But sit still and try to listen for God. And then um, he calls it a petulant child. So every time a thought comes in, just be like, you know, with a row of chairs. Okay, just that thought. Go sit down. I'll be with you when I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. So don't like dismiss or like you're saying, critique or criticize. But just saying, okay, you thought. Go sit over there in that chair, and I'll I'll be with you in a minute. I'm still listening for for God to speak to me, mm-hmm. and just to keep doing that over and over. So you know, have a whole row of chairs because that's how our brain works. We're gonna have yeah. a lot of thoughts intruding.
1: You also might want to note when that child entered your thought process because it might be a cue to what what could be causing some of your issues as to why that would have entered your thoughts at that time. So just, just make a note and then tell them to go sit in the chair. Um, I think that's really valuable. That is true too, though, just to be aware or even to take note mm-hmm.
0: of what thoughts keep coming in and when and why.
1: Yeah, because that could be, you know, something where Your mind is
0: trying to resolve or trying to,
1: um, yeah, trying to come to terms with. Mm -hmm. It's a whole nother bigger topic, but the idea of the different states of consciousness that we can enter into during mindfulness and meditation, you know, just getting into that alpha state of mind allows us to be more creative and innovative and teaching ourselves like how to get there and like when we fall asleep, we are tendin we have a tendency to go right into the alpha state, and then as sleep goes on, we'll progress into the different other three states of of consciousness. But then, and then when we wake up, also we're still in that alpha state of consciousness. I'll ask people, "Oh, well, I you know I woke up with a great idea. Why? Because it was in that alpha state that we we were so creative, or Gosh, I always think of great things when I'm in the shower. You know if I only had notes in the shower, you know we're probably because we're we're focused on what we're doing, we're quiet. we' probably have like taught ourselves to even go into an alpha state or even more while we're in the shower and that allows us to be so creative And I mean you can teach yourself how to get into other states of consciousness which you know allow us to even tap into more wonderful things with our brains. And getting into those states, we're we're actually yeah, we can tap into our more possibilities for us. So it's a whole another area of fascinating science. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up, though, just even to touch on the alpha state and the beta
0: state, and just to be aware that there are different levels of consciousness. Because I have a feeling most people don't even know they're either I'm asleep or I'm awake. You know, I have a subconscious, I have a consciousness, but not even realizing that within their conscious mind that there are these different levels of consciousness and that they each provide a different purpose Mm -hmm. or a different creativity or resourceful, you know, question answering kind of a thing, solutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: As we get into the different, different states, the wavelengths by which we, you know, get lower, they even say like the lower we get, the closer we get in that dream state, the closer we get to source and our soul. Pretty, pretty fascinating. It is. Pretty fascinating stuff. And you can actually like Again, the science is growing, but like like if you do have trouble falling asleep, um, one of the things that some people recommend is something called binaural beats. Oh my gosh, you can find them on any podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, if you yeah. just
0: even Google it, they're all on YouTube and Spotify. They're yeah. everywhere, but you can listen to them.
1: Yeah, it's music at different, different wavelengths in, in each ear that will actually put us in that different state of consciousness. So different like alpha or even more. And they Um, say that
0: different frequencies have different effects on the body for mm -hmm. healing or for cognition or different. Exactly,
1: it's so fascinating that sound can do that. I agree, yes, I I find that absolutely intriguing. We think of things like, I digress here, but like we think of things like sound as just something we hear with our ears, but it's a wavelength. So we actually feel it with our whole body. And the same goes for light. Which I think is really interesting too. With another one of those ground rules, where to help people go to sleep, you know, blue light we're not just seeing with our eyes. So the blue light glasses are—they're going to be helpful. But the light we're actually exposing our entire bodies to. Honestly, I had never thought of that. You are absolutely correct. So if you have the TV on and you have your blue light glass, your your entire body is still getting exposed to that blue light, or your laptop or your exactly. phone, exactly. You know, so changing the light at night is key for like stimu- for increasing our production of melatonin and allowing us to embrace that natural circadian rhythm of our bodies. It's all these different parts that we just don't you don't even think about. Because you can feel sound like if there's a loud noise or whatever. So how does that actually impact us and stuff that fascinates me? <laughs> I love
0: that you our minds think so much alike. I know. It's so crazy. <laughs> I love
1: great. it. <laughs>
0: And that I encourage our listeners too to to investigate binaural beats, investigate different sounds or investigate, you know, different forms of meditation and all these different things. And you had said that one of your ground rules is either shut off light, electrical, shut off your TV, your laptop, your phone mm-hmm. before you go to bed for a while, and not, you know, be on your phone right before you're falling asleep.
1: Well, it's a it's advice. I mean, particularly like if you want to have more restorative sleep. Restorative sleep is like one of those foundations that actually that impacts how well we can absorb nutrients and how our our brains function during the day. I mean it's all again back to all that interconnectedness. But in order to have that restorative sleep, we have to like embrace certain ideas. And, you know, with phones and computers and TVs at our ready twenty four seven twenty four seven, really we have to be mindful of that um and how that might be impacting us. I usually recommend at least an hour, if you can. Um, before you go to sleep, you know, shut off all your devices, you know, try and read a book, change the lighting in your room to less artificial light, more candle-like. Different colors of bulbs or different types of bulbs. I mean, ultimately, you know, red light is probably the best. Various types of noise in your room, like, you know, the darker, the better in the room. Temperature influences things. Cooler spaces are better. I had read once that a quarter size amount of light coming into your room has enough
0: to disturb your circadian rhythm and your sleep.
1: Yeah. Your sleep cycle actually begins when you wake up in the morning, exposing yourself to sunlight first thing. First thing will actually like increase your production of cortisol, which is what you need during the day, and then and it'll help you to actually produce more melatonin later in the day. I think people fail to recognize that we are of this planet, we are part of this planet, and the moon and the sun and all that sort of stuff influences us as well, just as it does the tide in the ocean. We're part of the planet. Those things influence us. The sunlight in the morning and things like that really do help. I think I had read in another book
0: of waking up in the morning and going for a walk. Mm -hmm. And not wearing sunglasses, but letting the sun hit your eyes, you know, like first thing in the morning.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Granted, that can't always work when you're living in our northern Wisconsin, and it doesn't, the sun doesn't rise until 7 a.m. on some days in the winter. But just being able to try to do your best. As you say, we are of this, our bodies are of this world, to try to um, mitigate the balance.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, and it's not about perfection, and you can't be judgmental. It's just about progress and small steps in the right way. And oftentimes the lowest hanging fruit just constant self-improvement, I feel, yeah, because yeah. it's a journey, yeah. absolutely
0: among the topics of sleep, are there any other tips that you have for our listeners to try to get a better, more solid night's sleep?
1: In terms of nutrition, there are things you can eat or drink at night. tart cherry juice tends to have nice effect or anything with higher antioxidants, honestly. Some people recommend, you know, magnesium, bananas or cashews, um, something like that. I do encourage the idea of napping, which gives your body a little siesta in the middle of the afternoon, and I think it just helps us to reset. If you have the opportunity, I think it shouldn't be judged or whatever. You know, I think we're conditioned to think that it's all about yes. productivity and hard work and we're not supposed to take care of ourselves. And, and know, almost it's like a competitive thing of like, well, I didn't get any sleep last night
0: and mm-hmm. I, I'm i not going to nap and I'm able to burn the candle at both ends kind of a mentality. Yeah, yeah
1: it's like a badge of honor and yeah. it should be the opposite. And we should maybe lean more
0: towards the European countries that actually do incorporate a siesta on a regular basis.
1: I think any any act of well-being or wellness that we embrace is... <sighs> if I can go this far, is like a, a radical act of generosity to yourself and to others. Because the more the more you take care of yourself, the more you can take care of others. And it just continues. I don't think we should judge for not taking care of ourselves, particularly as a mom. You might be ashamed of like, well, you know, I, I took a few minutes for myself. Or like, we're not supposed to, we're always supposed to be. We put ourselves last so often and i'm the first to admit i really struggle with this idea i think it's in our nature to take care of everyone and and the idea of self-care like it's hard it's something i struggle with on a daily basis and i'm i'm recognizing but i do as well
0: because i always feel like i have to put other people first or i have to take care of everybody else first before i do take care of myself mm-hmm. and i don't know how much society dictates that or if it's just upbringing you know work hard get your work done and mm-hmm. or if you're going to play make sure you work hard play later yeah, but that whole mentality of not taking the time or the energy to invest in your own uh, self care, I feel, is maybe overused. But in your own self care,
1: mm-hmm. the metaphor of you need to fill your own cup first. Your cup needs to be full and overflowing, and it's the and it's the stuff that's left on the on the saucer below it that you can then give to others. I really struggle with that, but um, I try to keep it in mind. But like you said, I think we're conditioned to think that we're supposed to in our upbringing and that whole idea of the badge of honor sort of, hopefully that'll be changing, mm-hmm. maybe.
0: <laughs> and hopefully this these messages too will help people. I think they will. To yeah. understand that. You had mentioned the power of gratitude. I want you to go back to that and share your knowledge on how important that is and how impactful that is in our daily lives.
1: The science of gratitude, you know, the research is, is really unfolding and opening our eyes to to its power because when we focus on gratitude and look through life through that lens it changes our perspective completely and it doesn't have to be like profound things that we need to be grateful for the same ones every day it could be small little little things like say a little prayer of gratitude when i wash my hands every time because i'm grateful that I have that ability to do so, or like I'm grateful for the water, or and it's just that frame of reference. So like I actually have it's called the bookends, but like how people bookend their day, you know how they start their day and like little things that they could jot down, something that they're grateful for, how they hope to use their purpose in life that day, and then at the end of the day, it's kind of like bringing yourself into account at the end of the day and being grateful for, for what happened. If you can bookend your day like that, I think it changes your complete perspective. When I was opened to the idea of gratitude, it changed my perspective on some some things I was going through in life and how I could look at them differently and through that different lens and how that completely changed my perspective. Just to get me in the practice of it, her and I became gratitude buddies. We would just text, and it was just a daily practice that we did. We would text back and forth every night three things that we were grateful for every day. Whatever random things happened that day, but it was the accountability of doing it with someone else that allowed you to, oh, I better text that person and you were suddenly focused on you were looking at your life differently all throughout the day because you were I don't want to say looking for things to be grateful for, but, but kind of taking note of things. Yeah, you were looked at things differently like, oh, well that was that was very special. And that changes that completely changes our perspective. The science of just that change in perspective, you know, brings us to more authenticity, brings us to be more present. The kids and I, before we eat a meal together, we do what we call thankful fours.
0: So we all go around the table and take a turn saying, it's supposed to be one thing, but it usually ends up being several because we can't pick just one. But we try to do that every time before we share a meal together, just list off a few things that we are really grateful for and it usually has to do with each other and being able to be together you had mentioned earlier that you have a great quote
1: about gratitude um yeah it's by cicero and it's gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues but the parent of all others so You know, if you think about gratitude as as the foundation for what we're doing and the idea of virtue and that's how we're growing and becoming as individuals and as the collective humanity, if you will, it's in that 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 gratitude would be the foundation for us to grow. Um, And so looking at at life through that lens of gratitude throughout our day just really changes the perspective.
0: I believe it absolutely does. I I also feel like it even changes something in our physical bodies.
1: Well, because that whole mind body connection intricately woven into ways that we don't understand and I don't know if we ever will completely understand. You know, it just changes a perspective. So then suddenly that orientation changes how everything else works. That interconnection of the mind, body,
0: spirit. And I feel like on so many levels there's more and more that we're gonna learn and that we are learning every day about how closely they are connected and they as you said so eloquently, mm-hmm. interwoven.
1: Yeah. And I think like once people recognize it and are willing to embrace the idea, then suddenly that opens the door to our ability to learn more about it, how it all works. And by learning about it, we can then, I don't want to say use it, but it'll help to inform other things that we do. It's exciting. (laughs) (laughs) An opportunity to incorporate gratitude into your daily life, like having a gratitude jar, you -hmm. know, that little gratitude buddy practice or- You and your friend text
0: back and forth before you go to bed, just a few things to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, small things like that. And it it all helps. And a friend of mine also said too, you know, when you're being grateful, gratitude towards the physical things is fantastic, but also just always maybe in the back of your mind, remember where did everything come from? Tuck in that a little gratitude for God Mm -hmm. or to God for everything as well. Yeah, God, universe, source. Again, I'm going to say whatever your belief practice is, but don't forget that
1: important component. Yeah. I think like just recognizing that connection to the higher power always, it has a grounding effect for us as well. And I, it just changes your demeanor. I was getting' you know, use that exact word. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it, it just does. And I, I think, you know, for, so from a scientific and physiological perspective, what happens exactly in the body, I don't, I don't know, but the research is being done as the more we embrace the idea, but even from personal experience, knowing that the more grateful you are for pretty much everything that happens, the more it changes the outcome. I think if you can always be ever mindful of the idea of gratitude and what serves you That underlying awareness throughout your entire day, almost like a contemplative sort of practice, I think that would fuel you in different ways and inform your decisions in different ways. I think it has profound impact on everything. Everything. And that's a blanketing statement, but really.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. You had mentioned the word earlier, epigenetics. Yeah. And I think even it impacts that. It impacts your health. It It impacts all facets of it. Can you touch a little bit more on epigenetics? I don't know if our
1: listeners actually even know the meaning of that word. In the last 20 years, we did something called the Human Genome Project. And we thought all of the answers would be in the Human Genome Project as to to the answers to all of our different diseases. The
0: mapping of the human genome?
1: Yep. Um, We got to the end of that and had all the information we thought we were hoping to have. And it didn't have the answers we were hoping it would have. There are less complicated species than us that have more genes and material than we do, which doesn't make a lot of sense. But then, now that we've learned about the microbiome, then how we synergistically work, uh, you know, in harmony with that, well, hopefully in harmony with that, that explains a bunch. But from an epigenetic standpoint, it means like we might have the genes there, perhaps to have something happen to us say a propensity f- a towards propensity a toward a disease or a, or some sort of physiological symptoms or something like that we might have the propensity to that the right circumstances would need to happen in our environment with our food with stress levels a combination or a mixture of all of them all together at once would put your body into a situation which would then allow the, the genetic cue to happen To begin and happen.
0: To Um, allow it to be displayed. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not
1: there. It's not like blue eyes you're
0: born with, but it's something that perhaps develops, but you have to have the right conditions in order for it to be able to show Mm -hmm. up, to present itself.
1: Right. You know, back to that whole idea of the bucket, the less we are putting in the bucket, the less we have for something like that to occur. So we we don't want to have the, say, the perfect storm exist. You know, we turn on the right situation, if you will, to have cancer come about in our bodies or or to develop obesity mm-hmm. or d- other different things that we might think are
0: genetic, or but they may, they're not genetic, but they are just, again, epigenetics where they are allowed to display themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You just brought up another word, the microbiome, mm-hmm. the gut microbiome. I know that's a huge topic, it is. but can you just touch on it briefly about the importance of it?
1: And how it affects every other facet of it, our life. It does affect us tremendously. You know, we're just learning about its impact. Perhaps about its existence. hmm mm-hmm. Well, right. It's, it hasn't been, you know, the science is just catching up to the regular allopathic medical science that's willing to embrace the idea. That's going to take some catching up as well. There are numerous microbiomes if you will on our bodies you know there's the oral microbiome there's there's just an ecological balance of bacteria and other organisms yeah that work with us well hopefully with us to work synergistically to make things happen to i mean we provide them with an environment in which to live and and hopefully thrive and then they do a whole cascade of things they can help like particularly in the gut microbiome they help us to digest our food. They help us to, they produce various nutrients and various other things like glutathione, various things that help us to digest our food and other help other processes work. Um, without them, certain processes don't, don't work themselves at all. And so we want the right mixture of and diversity and strength in them. So that's why in, in that biodiversity quest that I talked about when I talked about eating the rainbow, That um, provides us with all sorts of different fibers and nutrients that help to feed that microbiome. Because without it, you know, you're not maybe not feeding all the different types of, of bacteria and organisms that exist there. And you want a diverse ecosystem there to do all the different things that they could possibly do. You know, the whole idea of probiotics and prebiotics and postbiotics and, you know, what they all are and whether or not they work, you know, that's a whole podcast in and of itself but the idea of feeding those bacteria what they need to be so that they can thrive and help us to digest and produce what they what they're designed to produce but the science is really taking off on it there are specific bacteria that can help with particular diseases and so like the science is huge in how it can even affect like depression and anxiety and autoimmune, disorder. autoimmune disorders mm-hmm. ADHD yeah. you know so many different Every facet of mental
0: and physical health seem to be based, or at least be impacted. Exactly by your micro, your gut microbiome.
1: Yep, and then the foods we eat and how they impact us, and then back to that whole clean food thing, the pesticides that are on that food. I mean, interestingly enough, glyphosate. So Roundup—that's the generic name for Roundup. Glyphosate is patented as an antibiotic. What does that do? It it kills bacteria. So and glyphosate is in almost all of our foods just because of the farming practices with glyphosate and when farmers spray it on our on the crops they they are hoping to grow plants without weeds so that they have better yields but weeds have a tendency to get smarter too so they become less susceptible to the various pesticides and or herbicides when they discovered roundup like i said it was actually patented as an antibiotic monsanto the company that originally patented it was looking for something to replace ddt which they were using in the 1960s and so to do so they had been using glyphosate was being used as a drain cleaner not like just a drain cleaner like in your house like an industrial drain cleaner and at the end of someone must have noticed that at the end of these bigger drains that the the foliage and that sort of thing was all dying off and oh well they're wow, this might be you know worth something else. So they recognized that it could be a weed killer, but it also, like, it would kill the plants themselves, so you had to spray it on, initially they had to spray it on the plants when it wouldn't have impacted um, the growth of the plant or away from it. They could spray it on the small weeds when the plants were small, so it wasn't a big deal. But then as time went on, they recognized that you know, certain plants had certain characteristics, so we could take the characteristics of the plants that could survive uh, the Roundup spray and genetically incorporate them into other plants so then, oh, they could then sur- survive an application or applications of of the Roundup. So that's when the, GM, the idea of ge- genetically modified or GMO crops came into play, um, so they could make them Roundup-ready and be able to spray the crops with with the glyphosate, and then the plant would survive and then essentially kill the weeds that were around it. Then they also realized that they could use glyphosate as something called a desiccant. So they would, like when you harvest wheat or certain other crops like potatoes, and you want to mechanically harvest them, you need to have them completely dry because it works better for how they're combined or harvested. They found that if they sprayed a field of wheat per se, uh, with Roundup, like three days before they were going to harvest it, then they could effectively kill the plants and d- it would work better for for storage, for storage and, for, and for whatever. Well, suddenly we have, we have a situation where we're spraying that pesticide on food that we could be eating in the next week. That was something that happened in the first, and I believe that was like in 1996. It wasn't... A couple of years later that we started to see these gluten sensitivities and stuff like that, and it's hard not to draw conclusions. And the same goes for the potatoes. Although the potatoes are underground, you know, that's they're really close to the surface, and thus the glyphosate, it being an antibiotic, you know, has the ability to kill or destroy the bacteria in our gut. So to just bring that back around. Which is just interesting because, like, if you look back to, like, 1996 and how things have changed with respect to chronic disease and autoimmune diseases and... Mental illness. Mental and illness. And and, autism. Yep, autism and ADHD. And I'm just
0: throwing things out there. I'm yep. not saying drawing the correlation, but I'm just saying maybe it is something to be investigated.
1: hmm And dementia and Parkinson's and, you know, all those different things that we've we've seen grow exponentially that we hadn't seen Really? In those numbers in previous decades. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. You know, could there be a link? Possibly. And you know, even the mechanism by which glyphosate does work in our gut and what it does to the lining, you know, they've you know, our intestinal lining is only one cell thick. Our nutrients and stuff pass in between the different cells and or it gets absorbed or whatever. Well, we know that glyphosate there's it's held together by by something called zonulin and it it's like velcro in between those those cells. And we know that glyphosate breaks down that those fibers in between that the velcro essentially between the cells so every time we have we are supposed to glyphosate actually breaks apart those that velcro and then um so larger molecules or things that aren't necessarily supposed to get through are getting through as well so that that can also contribute to not only is it disrupting our microbiome, it's you know also disrupting the the intestinal lining. I did not know that.
0: I, I keep learning so many things from you while recording this. It's just,
1: <laughs> I just, it just kind of all starts sneaking out. And <laughs> um, Would that be tied to leaky gut syndrome? That's exactly where okay. leaky gut is coming from. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then again, just
0: to bring it all back full circle. It's like just the power of nutrition on your health, and then your ability when you are healthy to be able to um, grow and deepen your journey on your you know, your mindfulness and your spiritual journey and how intricately all of these facets are tied together. You know, that mind-body-spirit connection. It's fascinating.
1: It is. It's It's just fascinating. And it's just like, you know, you can't learn enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And it so just like makes you step back and go, okay, the decision I'm making to eat this, what am I actually deciding to do? You know, what is the long-term impact of that? And that can be overwhelming, honestly. And again, you you don't want to try and, make it so it's overwhelming. But if you're just like making more mindful choices, I mean, the glyphosate itself, I mean, it's in rainwater. It's pretty hard to avoid. But again, and we're equipped. The human body is an amazing thing. We're designed to thrive. Yeah, you and I were talking about that earlier, how the body is
0: so designed to heal itself and to continue improvements and to be able to recover.
1: Yeah, if it just is given have a chance. The more we focus on that, the longer we can, you know, what I like to, you know, convey to my clients is the longer we stay in that health span as opposed to a disease span. is so much. It is so much. It just can, it's everywhere. Like, <laughs> If you could leave our listeners
0: with a nugget of inspiration to pursue better healthy choices, maybe just even education, learning more, becoming more aware of how what they eat and do and experience affects their, not only their bodies, but their life, their mind, their soul. I know that's a huge ask. What is something that you could suggest to them to inspire them along the lines of the title of this podcast to pursue that journey?
1: Having an open mind and being willing to embrace the idea that all of this is interwoven and all the different ways we can nourish ourselves can influence and impact not only us as an individual, but as humanity as a whole. And just to start investigating and learning more about it. I think it's just start, just be curious, be open-minded, be willing to look past what we think we know and recognize that. And then try and listen within, because we have this innate knowing what we possibly could need or what might be the right thing. And if we quiet the noise enough around us and bring ourselves back to an awareness of what that is, I think that can inform us so much. And I think that's what it's about. I think our lives are so busy. And so there's so much that comes at us on a daily basis that if we can just bring ourselves back a little bit, we can make better decisions for us and for everyone around us.
0: And the trickle-down effect or that ripple effect, it does affect everyone around us. It affects us integrally. And then it also affects everyone around us.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For our listeners that want to reach out to you
1: or... Is there anything that we missed? (laughs) Well, it's a a pretty big topic, (laughs) so. (laughs) No, I don't think we missed anything right now. But we touched on, I feel like, a a whole bunch of things that we just touched on and not not really dove deep into them. But yeah, I mean, if you have questions or like, I do have, there's a website at navigatingequilibrium.com. And then also, the sports medicine branch of that is navigatingperformance dot com. So can you spell those out for us? It is
0: navigatingequilibrium.com. dot com. Yep, and then
1: navigatingperformance.com. dot com. Okay, thank you. And then both of them on Instagram at navigatingequilibrium and at navigatingperformance. Both of them, you know, have you know content relating to both things. So, um, anybody ever has a question. I love answering questions or I will do my best to answer those questions. You know, right now I don't have any like online virtual offerings like you had asked. Um but but you do offer guided meditations? I do. have guided meditations I can send. I do work with clients on a, you know, a bi-weekly basis. Well, the athletes actually I work with, you know, based upon whatever their needs are, which could be daily or could be every other week, whatever. You know, some of the clients with diabetes or something that I might touch base with them every couple weeks, there's opportunities for for working with me that way. But otherwise, we are also, um, from a sports nutrition and performance perspective, we're working on an app so that I can bring this knowledge and an opportunity to answer questions for athletes of all ages and all kinds, not just the professional athletes I generally work with. Um, So your recreational athletes, the triathletes, endurance athletes, Student athletes, oftentimes there's not a source where they can go for information or how, you know, what kind of decisions to make. This will hopefully provide a place for them to come to, to sort through some of the often confusing information out there and really a place to answer the questions and find science based information that is applicable to their, to their situation. So
0: that's fantastic. So I hope our listeners do try to find you online.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: And then one last question. Do you offer remote coaching, nutritional counseling? What do you offer as far as for listeners who aren't local? How can they get in touch with you and what do you offer online for them?
1: Well, on both websites, there's a place where you can contact me, whether you're interested in just regular health coaching, nutrition advice, or if it's performance, sports performance related, you, you can get the to me through the website, or you can um, DM me through those Instagram sites. Honestly, most of my coaching is is remote. I do through Zoom or on the phone. A number of my athletes are, you know, strewn about throughout the country. For at least half the year. So, I, I also do have a few local clients that I will meet with at at their home or um, at a coffee shop or whatever. So, yeah, I try to make myself available to them. You know, because like things come up and over the course of a week or a day that I don't want them to stumble. So I, I try to be there for them whenever whenever they might need something. So it's just how I how I work. <laughs> That's wonderful. So I'm going to encourage our
0: listeners to find you online and to awesome. seek you out and to ask questions or sign up for some of your guided meditations or to mm-hmm. seek your guidance and your expertise and your experience for nutritional and athletic nutritional coaching.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I really thank you for doing this. This is amazing and it's quite the privilege to sit down and talk with you today. This, and I, I think- love that we share so many of the same viewpoints and it's been awesome. So,
0: I agree. It's been wonderful. And I am though, I feel very blessed to have had you on the show. You have so much knowledge to share. And you have such a great science chemistry background that you are able to tie it all in together. And I don't know how you're able to remember and recall all this off the top of your head. (laughs) I am very
1: impressed. Thank you, Andrea, so much for joining us today. Thanks, Teresa. Thank you so much.
0: This is Conversations to Inspire with your host, Teresa Moore. Join us next week as we explore a different facet of the mind-body-spirit connection. Help promote the show by subscribing and following this podcast and leave a five-star review so we can continue to get incredible guests as we dive further into the Mind-Body-Spirit Connection.